And now, it's time for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your hosts, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Dad Bod Rap Pod, episode 165. We're back at it the three bad brothers that you know so well. My name is Damone Carter, AKA Dem One. I am joined by fellow allergy sufferers, Nate LeBlanc. Yo. How's it going, man? Uh, histomatic. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Benadryl, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm listening to some Benadryl music in the UK. Um, yeah, just pollen, just surrounding all my mucous membranes it's it's quite a time yeah yeah uh also dave i've never seen you sneeze dave so i'm i'm skeptical <laughs> mention having a fucking allergy issue never seen you sneeze. never seen you with the tissue I'm not calling you out i'm just saying what i've seen <laughs> i'm doing bumps of claritin on the side so okay don't even <laughs> off of his hand ladies and gentlemen yeah. my tiny spoon <laughs> you, they lock up the Claritin, like at the at the yeah, because it's fucking like, expensive. I don't get that yeah, <laughs> it's uh, expensive. Like I'm over here. What is it? Uh, Twenty four dollars gets me like through two and a half weeks. Damn, dude! Like, I will. Yeah. If we ever see each other again, I'll kick you down my generic loratadine I get at the Kaiser Pharmacy for like seventy seven ninety nine for fifty. Is that right? Yeah, one of the, <laughs> the one plugs of the I met. Of the HMO life. <laughs> the plugs I met with Nate LeBlanc. Uh, yeah, so we're 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 getting through it. Uh, happy spring to everyone. Uh, hope everyone's safe on the on the road to vaccinations and such. Uh, our train keeps on rolling. We got a podcast that comes out every week. And we got some live guests, uh, both this week and, and coming up in successive weeks. But before we dive into this week's uh, topic and guest, I have a question for both of you. Um, and it's a somewhat of a controversial topic or a loaded term in hip hop that I, I want to see if we can unpack a little bit. And I'll start with you, Dave. When I say the word old school, define that for me. What does old school mean for you? Well, for I think old school means different things to different people. It kind of depends on your own timeline um, because I know that there's a big discrepancy between is eight, 1988 old school or is like 1993 old school. And like, I, mm -hmm. I work with younger cats who are like, Biggie, that's so old school, you know? So, right. I mean, what the fuck does old school even mean? I, when we talk to cats who are just a little bit older than us, um, Melly Mel is old school, you know what I mean? So. Right. You know, um, that, that's my definition. It kind of reminds me of like what the definition of a freestyle is. It kind of depends when. Sure, sure. When it entered, from. yeah, when it entered your imagination and sort of, um, you know, how it took place and took off from there. So. Um, well, for I you though, it, Dave Ma, what, what, when you say something is old school, what, what era, what period of time are you pointing to? When for you me, say? it would be late 80s, uh, very early 90s. And, you know, for some, okay. like I said, for some people, Gangstar's moment of truth is old school, but for me, sure. you know, stepping sure. in the arena is a little bit more old school. You know what I mean? Okay. And the difference between that isn't hugely great, but I think it changes the definitions. Absolutely, absolutely. Nate, what uh, when I say old school, what 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 comes to mind for you? 
my personal definition, though I agree that for every successive generation, it's like whatever was out when they were young or it's their parents' music at this point. Sure. Like right. I get I get it's a shifting definition. When I say it, I mean pre-run DMC. Pre-run DMC. So you're you're talking this Heart is like Cam era, Heart like 1520 okay. Sedgwick to Larry Smith buying a drum machine is basically Got it. what I define yeah. as old school hip hop. Okay. So, right, but if, if someone says like, you know, uh, what's a what's a good one? Like, um, uh, Tribe's first album is old school. I'm not going to be a dick about it. I'm not going <laughs> to act like they just said vinyls to my face. Totally. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> oh, I get man. I get what they mean, and like you know, if yeah. you're playing like the the uh, old school and the jams of today, and can we introduce for the purposes of this conversation how? a lot of people use the term old school with a K to mean like um, disco-y soul and like- Oh, really? Oh, old school. Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sure, like a radio sure. genre, like sure. style okay. kind of gets okay. put in that at mm -hmm. times. Like okay. it's kind of mm -hmm. like an up-tempo- Rhino like, Records compilation. Skating stuff. music yeah. kind of thing. Right, like, right. Okay. So that's why it's okay. sort of a hairy, you know, sort of a hairy definition. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess you don't have to know that, you know, Rev Run was Curtis Blow's DJ and that means that that's old school. You right. know, like... This is going to dovetail nicely into our question of the week. Uh, yeah, right. absolutely. Right. Like, absolutely. How much do you need to know to use terms is like... Exactly. Kind of like, we don't want to mm. be like gatekeepery, but we've spent a lot of time thinking about these terms. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh yeah, Sammy Semantics? You don't try to be gatekeepery? <laughs> Um, trying to be crypt keepery in appearance <laughs> there it is old school movie um yeah i feel like uh old school is it is an interesting and loaded term and it means different things for different people what i have you will ferrell movie only or <laughs> <laughs> that's my starting point frank the tank um no i i feel like it it it's basically your age minus uh 10 to 12 years i think <laughs> yeah. whatever wherever you you you're at, you can like minus and that's what equals old school. So it's definitely shifting. But I, I think the era that you're talking about, Nate, I, I kind of uh, would call that like, that's the true school of hip hop. Like that's mm. like the, the beginnings, first the first class. Yeah, the first like wave. For me, old school, I, I always think of uh, pre and post chronic. Mm. If you came out before the chronic, um, that to me is old school. I feel like the texture and energy of rap um, is markedly different. And you brought up, you know, uh, people's instinctive travels. Um, and I think it's a great example because that came out, right? And it's a very bright, happy record, almost childlike in some of its qualities. Three years later, Tribe was not doing anything like that because the whole entire mm -hmm. landscape had changed. And so um, it's interesting to think about eras uh, history. Hip-hop is a relatively young art form, but I feel like we're in some ways almost obsessed with history. Um, sure. We've got 50 in a, in a years to explore. It's a nice, um, like I, I've said this before, and it's a, like a slightly like weird metaphor, but like Edan is a good artist to collect because you could legitimately get every release. Some are more obscure okay. than others, yeah. but he doesn't have so yeah. many records where it's like, it's impossible. I'll never sure. complete the collection. It's not like trying to collect the Beatles or something, right? right. Sure. It's like a nice right. tidy discography where you could, if you have a you know, few resources, you could track everything down or you could have bought it when it came out, right? I was buying records right. his whole career. 
for hip hop yeah. for a historian, it's a, it's a nice tidy. It's digestible. Box. It's a fifty year totally. thing yeah. that happened in a geographic area and then exploded worldwide. But the beginning right. of it is pretty easy to contextualize. Yeah, and yeah, it's accessible. It's easy to contextualize. It's uh, you know, and uh, you know, uh, we get into the conversation. Uh, we get into it in the conversation, but it's you know, America's most wonderful export. Yeah, yeah. I kind of this is the only time I get low key patriotic is when I think about uh, <laughs> American American art forms and what they give into the world. And I have loved, 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 loved the uh, Outcast versus the Beatles. Uh, fake Twitter, uh, gender up non-controversy, but fun to think about. Um, but yeah, I do feel like um, hip hop history appears to be digestible. And this is why I think we're so obsessed with lists and greatest, because it seems like you can make that designation. There hasn't, enough time hasn't passed where it, do, it seems impossible, right? So mm -hmm. I think that's why we try to approach it like that. But uh, as today's guest kind of illuminate on, I think uh, it's actually not. It's, it's very rich and complex. And there's so many stories within stories, on top of stories, people's stories we haven't heard yet uh, that, that complicate hip hop history um, in some interesting ways. Nate, you, you are very learned, very well read. Loki almost got your degree in hip hop. Weren't you toying with that a little bit, right? I, I, my technically my degree is in American studies, but anytime I had the opportunity to write about hip hop, I kind of did. I didn't make up my own major. I fitted into the rubric of a program that previously existed, but in a way, you could sort of say that. Yes, don't tell my parents. Right. Okay, sorry. They, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> uh, to quote to quote LP, that's what every white mom wants to hear um, <laughs> that their child majored in uh, majored in hip hop studies. But Nate, you you've probably of, and I'm sorry if I'm shading you, Dave here. But I feel like you're you're probably the one that has read the most um, hip hop history related, you know, books and things. Do you feel like? Um, hip hop history is still un I don't know what the word is undercovered under yeah. I know I know what you mean that makes it yeah. sound weird very much so yeah totally totally I mean just like we we've talked about this and it's like even some like I pulled out some of my old stuff I was collecting during my college days because I just moved so I'm like sorting boxes and I found like some real really cool stuff I had forgotten that I owned and including some of the more rare or like under red or just like I don't even know if they would hold up to my standards of being good now but they were what were available 20 years ago when I was um, trying to approach hip-hop from a more academic or intellectual angle and just reading everything I could get my hands on um, if you look at the hip there, there's always a music section in every bookstore and the books about hip-hop will be like a very very right or to even just classic rock or jazz or right. certainly classical like there there are canonical works um by like you know huge um critics and thinkers of the time to just to let alone like any like um visual art movement like there are way more books about pop art than there are about hip-hop why right. is that you know right. like, why is right. it understudied um and so i feel like that's changing a little bit there are signs in the yeah. right direction um not to toot our own horn too much but like we have tried to make the show a home where authors can come and speak intelligently yeah. about their work, mm -hmm. have a nuanced conversation. After 
the interview that we're going to play for you guys in a couple of minutes, Dave and I kind of hung out on Zoom after a while. We we're like, oh, I needed that. Like, yeah. man, I just, it's, it's so nice to have a, a conversation like that with cats who are like, I, we look up to, they're a kind of a generation older than us, even though they don't want to admit it. They, um, <laughs> and like, um, just people who think critically about it can examine its foibles and like, like, you know, like take a, take a, a view on it that's supposed to stand, stand the test of time. And, um, you know, ho hopefully in some, in some ways, I think our show that we're currently making is contributing to this conversation. Right. Yeah. 100%. We'd, like, we'd like to write some things that, you know, can, can be in a library, can be in a bookstore, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. put our perspective onto this kind of stuff. But for now, I think it's, it's deeply undervalued and it's deeply under criticized. And I don't mean that to say like, mm. um, you know, criticism in terms of like, this is bad, but criticism yeah. in terms of like what this is, unpacking the phenomena of hip hop from like kind of a cultural studies angle, I think is is pretty underdone. Yeah, yeah. I, to I totally agree, Nate. And to sort of just piggyback on your Barnes and Noble's analogy of the uh, small um, book section. Yeah, I wasn't, you know, when I was in college about 20 years ago, 15 years ago, um, there, was, there was a jazz studies course, you know, there was a rock and roll studies course. But hip hop was like, what? No way. That, that, would, that would be radical yeah. to have a, a hip hop class. And this was, we're talking 15 years ago. So I yeah. think it's also an issue with a le legitimization. I think, you know, yeah. forever every, it, it was not viewed as a, a legitimate art form, things like that. So it's good to see sort of that awakening and that tide change a little bit. And, uh, you know, I don't want to get too personal, but hopefully San Jose State will allow uh you know hip-hop studies courses and stuff so um everything is really in in line with um jeff chang and dvd as well yeah yeah man we had uh two you know the preeminent hip-hop scholars uh thinkers join us for a conversation um about the new book which is an update of what is you know probably one of the the best hip-hop history books jeff chang's can't stop won't stop um, this is an updated edition. Uh, the last one kind of took us from the beginning of hip hop till about 0405. Um, and this one brings us to date. Also on the remix, he gets Davey D. Um, so for those who are, you know, outside of the Bay Area, um, Davey D is in some ways a, a legendary figure as a radio host, um, both at KML and our, our local NPR affiliate. Um, as well as a professor at, at San Francisco State. Um, so it was, it was really cool to have them on and get their, their perspectives and, and also their kind of little camaraderie, which I wasn't, I wasn't expecting. I, I've <laughs> heard both of them speak separately. I was actually supposed to be on a panel with Jeff Chang one time and I got gravely ill and I mm. fucking am mad at myself about that burrito to this day. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I, and I've been on a panel with David D as well. So they're both kind of excellent thinkers and speakers, but um, they also had a, a really cool chemistry. Um, let me ask this, and we'll get into the interview in just a moment. It's being released as, or it was written as a young, uh, young adult novel. Nate, you as a, as a grown ass man, who also little invested in the, in the Marvel universe, but we'll, we'll set that aside <laughs> for right now. Um, would you have, were it, were it not Jeff Chang, let's say it was somebody we didn't know as well. Would you read a YA hip hop history thing or would you steer, steer clear of it? 
I know, I know why you're asking, but I totally would. And it's, it's funny yeah. um, not to spoil the interview as we try our best not to every week, but like, I, you don't have to worry so much these days about like reading it on the train or like reading it at a right. busy coffee shop, right? Like what I read in the uh, privacy of my own home is no one's business, but um, I, I don't care. And like my wife, um, Lucia works at a library and is a voracious reader, like it, her good reads will fuck you up amazing like, <laughs> we'll just like don't try to hang nope in the volume of reading that she gets done it's which is we we spend basically every second together so when she reads like all these books and i look and i'm like mm, i read this pretty good new yorker article three weeks ago um, <laughs> embarrassing um but you know that's one of the things i love about her and so she loves YA literature and she's not mm. in it so she can have a podcast about it she just reads for, right. for her own enrichment and enjoyment so I think there's a ton to be gleaned uh, from YA things and also in many ways I think you guys we, we've talked about this I can't remember if it was on mic or off mic at this point there's something about like the eternal teenager like Mm -hmm. um a, a lot of the best songs are written for about a perspective of like a teen that a that teenager. that that yeah. voraciousness the the amount you feel when you're a teenager and that's what young adult literature is about right it's about mm -hmm. coming of age and like mm -hmm. growing and changing and having new experiences so it's important for these kind of historical tomes to be pointed in that direction and I have mm -hmm. I don't have my hands on a copy of the new the new version but I would definitely read it one to see what they updated two to see yeah. how they wrote it to a YA audience and three just yeah. to see like how the prose or the editing would change by introducing a different author into a new mm -hmm. edition which I don't know that much about publishing but I don't feel like is very common no, no, I'm, I'm definitely curious to see what what Davey D adds on obviously a big big Jeff Chang fan Dave, um, what's the last YA title you read? <laughs> Dude, probably since I was a YA. So uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no uh, idea. No idea to yeah. that question, Damone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was putting you on the spot, but I can't. I, know, I can't. I, I can't think of it either. I wasn't. Um, yeah, choose your own adventure. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Those were lit, man. Um, uh, Junie Moon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think um, a lot of YA literature is about like people forming these teams, like Divergent and stuff like that, like mm, Twilight okay. and stuff like okay. that. Like, but this is Harry Potter. I'm just Harry Potter. I think don't is, they like, team up? Yeah, YA yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's like all the redheads and Harry. But this Potter. is like YA nonfiction. So yeah, right. I, it's, it's different. It's a lot. It's, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm, 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 we're super curious. We, we did not get an advanced copy because we don't have that much juice yet. I think on Jeff's next book run, uh, we may get an advanced copy. Didn't but you get it, an advanced copy, Dave? Or not an advanced, but when it, when it came out? I, I got an advanced copy. A, a oh, hardcover hard oh, advanced Dave. copy. So thank I, you very much. So. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to flex during your spiel, but um, yeah. So I'll let you guys who borrow has it. Who doesn't? So, yeah, exactly. So for the record, Two or three of us don't have the juice to get an advanced uh, Jeff Chain copy, but uh, Dave <laughs> did. Um, so, so yeah, we we had a, a great conversation uh, with Jeff Chang and Davey D. Um, this was recorded on the kind of the day that we found out about DMX's uh, tragic um, passing. And, and as Jeff notes, one of his books, Who We Be, is, is based on the DMX title. So um, he shares a little bit about that. Um, that's kind of a little bit of the overtone, but 
we, we had a great uh, wide ranging hip hop sociology discussion with two of the best thinkers out there in the, uh, in the culture. So without further ado, here is our interview with Jeff Chang and Davey D, Dad Bod Rap Pod. Dad bod rap pod, another week, another interview for y'all. We pride ourselves in bringing you the movers, shakers, thought makers, opinionated voices in hip hop culture. Um, and today's interview might be the absolute apex of that. Joining us uh, via Zoom, we have Jeff Chang, award-winning author, academic, uh, also known as DJ Zen for my, my hip hop uh, heads from the Bay Area. And then we also have uh, award-winning journalist, professor, um, you know, Bay Area legend, Davey D. Thanks for being here with us. How you guys doing? We're good, man. Um, you know, crazy day, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. A lot of things going on. Uh, for, super happy for to sure. be here. Yeah, thanks, for, thanks so much for having us. Absolutely. Um, we'll, we'll jump into it here. Uh, can't stop, won't stop. Uh, to many, the definitive uh, hip hop history. Uh, and you, Jeff, came out with, a, with this, um, it was in, the, in 2000, no? 2005, I think is. 2005, the, okay. Yeah, the, the actual year that the, the first edition came out. So, so we'll start with you, Jeff. Why, why the update? Why, what prompted you to do the update? And this book is designed for young adults. Can you talk a little bit about why you updated and why the, the focus on, on the YA crowd? Sure, sure. Um, you know, the, the book has had a long life and that's, um, uh, that's been a huge blessing. Um, and my editor and all her genius, Monique Patterson, uh, came to me a few years back and was like, you know, it might be time for us to make this available to a next generation of, of, of hip hop heads. Um, and uh, it was, you know, just a brilliant idea. Um, you know, both Dave and I uh, are hip hop dads, <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, and my kids are a little older than Dave's kids are, but you know, we, you know, we, we, uh, you know, when you, as you, as you all know, you know, when you become a dad, you sort of, you're, you're interested in, in thinking about things a little bit differently. Right. And it, part of it is that didactic dad thing of like, you need to know exactly what your dad went through. And then the other part of it, of course, is just like the joy, right. Of being able to share all this incredible uh, music, art, culture, and stuff that you were were uh, so blown away by, um, and uh, so you know the first person uh, I reached out to on this idea was was Dave because Dave's been 
my older brother, my mentor in this, um, you know, to me, he's the greatest living hip hop historian um, and uh, just is a fountain of of um, of, of stories um, and uh, and uh, and I, I just knew it was going to be a lot of fun too to be able to, to do this and uh, luckily he said yeah so we, we got to work I want to give a little context to this you know um, Jeff is being funny when he says older brother but <laughs> when no, I read when I brother, well, well, well not exactly because really when the first edition of can't stop won't stop come out came out in 2004 2005 you know we were all young adults we were in our 20s jeff was an elder statesman in hip-hop and uh -huh. think about it this book informed us right many of us were younger and we learned a lot from that book and so it's really just a reintroduction to a crowd that was our age back in 2005 which would be young adults and so they get a chance to have this and have it reference things that would make sense to them. So in 2005, we might have talked about, you know, uh, Public Enemy. We would have talked about Tupac and Biggie. And those would have been immediate reference points. In 2021, you know, that's stuff that their parents listen to. Because uh, most of these folks are born in 2000, 2001. They don't know 9-11, none of that. So their referencing points are going to be Drake. You know, that's their back in the day. Uh, you know, their back in the day, gosh, might even be Cardi. If you're talking about Bodak Yellow, you know, because that's five years ago, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not a dumbing down. It's not, you know, we made it simple. It's not any of that stuff. It's just as a young adult um book how can you have this conversation about the history of hip-hop how can you talk about the social political aspects of it how can you bring to light um some important stories you give it a different referencing point and to the fact that all of us are young adults compared to you know jeff at this point <laughs> <laughs> Dave, um, you're always going to be older than me <laughs> And and but, now we're not young anymore. We're post young, and you actually hella old. So yeah, uh, <laughs> ABD came to my high school. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> he came and spoke at my high school. So I don't know y'all can sort out y'all thing. I know he came to my high school. Oh man, but, down, let him know. Wow, <laughs> pulling out receipts. But on on a serious tip, um, we updated it and we take it all the way up to 2020, you know, the election, the pandemic and everything. So really it's a continuation of a story that all of us can enjoy, whether we're 50 or whether we're 20, but it's made for and very intentional for the young adult audience, for that 20 year old, that 15 year old, that high school person to get some foundational history and political and social construct about this culture so that they can see themselves and what is unfolding in modern day, you know, scenarios. Did I really come to your high school? <laughs> Damn. Yeah, yeah, Andrew Hill High School, 1994. It was a Ooh. big deal. It was a big deal. I'm not gonna say you was 20 years older at that point. 94 was yeah. 25 years ago. Yeah. Wow. It's you, you know, you're an authority count. by that time. I can count. 
Yeah. Wow, 94. <laughs> wow. Wow. You know, um, you guys uh, mentioned, um, speaking of reference points, um, the, the, I know the impetus for the new book was obviously the, you know, updating some of the reference points, but I loved the inclusion of Mercedes ladies. And I was wondering, you know, just for those who don't know, Jeff or Davey, whoever wants to like take this one up, can you just sort of give people a brief overview of the Mercedes ladies, their importance and, you know, the foundational aspects of that? Well, you know, I grew up in the Bronx and they were both a, an urban legend and a real life situation. Um, many of us heard the Mercedes ladies because they were often shouted out in tapes. So if you heard, you know, like in the background, I have recreations of the Park Jam tapes, you know, the T-Connection, Cedar Park and Eddie Cheever and Master Don and right there, Mercedes ladies, right? At Disco Fever, you know, jam, right? So we would hear Mercedes ladies on those tapes and some of us got to see them in real life. I didn't get a chance to see them um, in real life. I did interview Sherry Cher at her house, you know, much later. And we talked about those days, but they were all women crew. They, they, they um, come out of the camp of Grand Wizard Theater and a fantastic romantic or just a fantastic five when I was coming up. Um, they rehearsed with them, but they were also like Wu-Tang before Wu-Tang. You know, mm -hmm. they, they came in, they were deep crew, about seven deep. And they, they also had a bunch of people that would show up, you know, maybe 20 or 30 deep wearing the Mercedes ladies and, you know, made the crowd hype. So, you know, they paid their dues. They didn't get any, um, they didn't get any special treatment uh, because they were, they were women. Uh, they were good at what they did. And, you know, the only thing that I regret is that they never really um, got a chance to show their full skill on records. They're featured on a record with Donald uh, D, but they don't even they don't even mention that they're there. They're doing the vocals on it and they don't even mention them. But they were definitely a legendary force, um, you know, that that, you know, people people were aware of the Mercedes ladies when you were coming up in the pioneering days. And two things about that, just to add, is one is, is, um, you know, Dave was there. Dave, Dave, Dave was in the Bronx uh, during these days. Um, so like all of that um, is 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 reflected in this new edition, um, that real feel of what it felt like to be in these parties and these jams um, at that point. And, uh, you know, the 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 part of history that i've always loved and found most fascinating is that part before hip-hop actually starts getting on wax in 78 and 79 um and the, the tapes and the jams and and that kind of stuff um and and i i just think that you know that part where hip-hop's kind of in its infancy where you have these kids who nobody's checking for you know society is has abandoned um, really, really like in that, in the throes of creativity and building it up. That's the stuff that's most fascinating to me. One of the things that um, we can shout out is that there is a book actually that was uh, written by Sherry Cher uh, called Mercedes Ladies. It was a, mm. it was actually a novel, uh, but it's slightly fictionalized. I mean, it's like, if you really, if you really know, and you can actually read through the book and you know exactly who she's writing about, um and it's it's a rare book now it's not it was it came out on vibe books in the 90s um and uh our good friend rob kenner 
actually uh, edited that. Rob, uh, of course, just released a, a blazing new biography of Nipsey Hussle, hit the New York Times bestseller list this week, um, and is, is himself a legendary hip-hop journalist. Um, so, you know, just, just for all you, you know, hip-hop nerds out there, that kind of stuff, stuff to check for uh, out there. Um, and, and just another reason why, um, this is why I had to lift up the phone and dial the seven digits uh, to get to, to Dave. I know nobody uses a phone anymore except for old people like <laughs> Dave. So I just, that's the, that's the way I had to reach him. <laughs> the other thing with that book um, that Sherry Sher does very bravely is even before, you know, um, a Me Too movement, mm. she drops dimes on wow. things that yeah. she dropped some dimes in that book that yeah. we're now sitting there going oh oh you know and you know we 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 address that a little bit in the book and kind of let folks know that as jeff says you know hip-hop is at a moment with some of its players are having to deal with the reckoning you know of transgressive behavior um but you know to the degree that sherry share you know um spoke what she needed to speak in that book um, yes. at a time where, you know, remember there are very powerful people in the music industry. And when you cross certain lines, you know, that's, that's it. You know, there's not, there's no coming back. Um, you decide to go around the corner, you know, some of those same people are there. Like, remember me, <laughs> remember you dropped a dime on me. No, let me shut these doors. But she spoke her piece and, you know, she did it in the, quote unquote fictionalized way, but if you were able to read it, you're like, oh, and then years later, you know, after Tarana Burke and everybody starts to really, you know, push the envelope just about uh, the type of uh, predatory behavior that society itself is, you know, dealing with, with a focus that eventually emerges on the entertainment industry. That's important, not just rap, but the entertainment industry in general, from Hollywood to the record labels, you can now go back and look at some of these folks and be like, oh, wow, she was speaking some truth to power. And, you know, she deserves some props for that, you know, because that was a brave thing to do. Absolutely. Um, it, it always been always been happening behind the scenes. And now now it's kind of being brought more to our attention, uh, thankfully. You know, guys, I was going to do a joke earlier, like, how do you make it a young adult book? Do you like introduce a vampire romance? Do you uh, <laughs> ma make it like a team of scrappy youngsters fighting the system? Um, but Jeff, something you just said kind of makes me feel like you kind of do because hip hop was started by such young people. I was just reviewing this section um, in the original edition about how the MTA's description of what a graffiti writer was, which is basically yeah. like a 13 year old Puerto yeah. Rican kid. So yeah. I'm, I'm wondering um, yeah. specifically, how do you write to the young adult audience? And do you, do you change much as, as in, in terms of like verbiage or reference points <clears throat> as you would to write it for like a, a more generalized adult audience? I guess I just don't really understand the mechanics of that, if you can help us understand. Uh, actually, it's a really, really amazing question, Nate, because we had a lot of discussions about how to do that. And, you know, D Dave's kids, for instance, are um, uh, my kids are in their 20s. Dave's kids are just I mean, her, his his older daughter's just about to head into her teens. Probably no, she's 10. She's 10. OK, well, yeah. 12 is like teens, isn't it? These days. 
Dave is like trying to definitely hold that day off <laughs> for as long as he can. He's like, she is she is ten years old and she's just... going on on like thirty two. Yeah, <laughs> like she's way she's incredibly wise. Um, uh, but uh, but anyway, <laughs> we you know we had a lot of discussions about this and we were kind of we're kind of talking about it. And one of the things that we didn't want to do, like he said, was we didn't want to dumb it down. Um, young folks these days are confronted with so much and. You know, part of part of this is, you know, as dads, like writing this in a in a way in which we're trying to arm. You know, I'm trying to arm my 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 nephews and nieces in the same way that Dave's trying to to arm his kids to be able to confront the world as it is, not as as we would like it to be. Right? We want them to make it what they'd like it to be, um, but in order to do that, we have to kind of make sure that the reality is there. So there's tough issues that we we, you know, go through there um, in the book, but we don't, we don't try to, 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 you know, uh, boil it down and that kind of, I mean, look, you know, the, 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 the work that's out there now, thinking about work by like uh, Jackie Woodson or, you know, the, um, uh, you know, uh, what was, what was, what was a movie um, that was made? Um, uh, uh, forgetting now, right now. Jackie but... Wilson. No, no, Jackie Woodson's books. But I'm also oh. thinking about um, uh, the hate you give. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Right, the hate you give. This was a YA book that she did, um, and dealing with very, very serious issues of gun violence, um, you know, gang violence, um, class issues, uh, you know, all of these different types of things, um, and. And so Angela, who's writing these books, is, is you know, like putting it all out there. And, and so that gave us, I think, a lot of fire to be able to say, we can just do this uncut. Um, we don't have to dress it up. We don't have to make it too cute and that kind of thing. And, you know, the, they're they're coming to the music. They're listening to this stuff um, with open ears and recognizing what's the real, right? Um, I mean, you know, that, that whole debate about WAP, it's like, come on. You know, kids, kids are going to know they they have the Internet, right? They yes. can look at that stuff. So right, it's right. like, you know, we weren't trying to censor anything except for one word. And we can talk about that in a second here or two hey, words, actually, in a but, second. But again, you know, I was very serious when I talked about the fact that the first edition was the young adult edition. Yeah. Um, and I don't want us to to overlook that, that many of us, you know, whether we were in the twenties or thirties, that was the book and we read it and we didn't ask for something to be, um, you know, dumbed down, mm -hmm. you know, there was a respect for the love that we had of this culture. Um, there was a respect and understanding that at young ages, we had moved the crowd. Literally we had moved the dynamics, um, in the music industry, we had moved the dynamics even politically in many ways, that there was a certain amount of agency that young adults who were being ignored and being dismissed and, and, and being told to sit at the kiddie table who are running things. Um, I recall as a journalist being at the Unity Convention and, you know, this was a gathering of journalists in Seattle. And I was with Danielle Smith, you know, who's another excellent journalist. And we're there and we're listening to people talk about, oh, you know, one day they might let us become an editor of a newspaper and mm -hmm. people were doing all this. And me and Danielle looked and it's like, you know, at the time I actually had my own publication. 
that was probably pr- pretty wide read. You know, it got me my jobs, open doors. Danielle had already not only been an editor at Vibe, but she was an editor at the New York, you know, at the at the uh, at Time Magazine, or an editor. You know, um, Frank Williams was there. He had already been writing for the New York Times, and here we are, people that were in hip hop who were looked at as these young people who didn't know any th- better had actually surpassed some of some of the people who were looking down at us and making these uh, assumptions. And, you know, we're sitting at these meetings and they were talking about things that we had already figured out, you know, Mm. at our young ages. And one of the most important things was to own your own. Like, well, you know, it's cool if I get a job, but you know what? I actually make money on my own platform. You know, Mm. it'd be cool if I get a job, but I'm already the editor. I actually hire and fire. (laughs) So while me and Danielle and, and Frank are sitting in this lobby, it's like this young kid, this young adult is the one who could actually hire many of the veterans that were in the room. The mm. point that I'm getting at is that if we're not careful in terms of how we see people who are a little bit younger than us and understand that the only difference between us and them is that we have more experience, but they also have ingenuity and they have insight into terrain that we might not know. So. There's something that we can learn from them and there's something that they can learn from us. Society has age bracketed all of us and have us got us into these conversations of young and old. And in particular with black folks and communities of color, because and that's not by accident. That's intentional because the end result is that we don't pass along generational wisdom. So we don't know some of this important history that's laid out in the book. You know, remember, as we're writing this book and being as truthful and as earnest as we possibly can, they're rewriting textbooks in high schools. They're they're rewriting textbooks in college. And on a very fundamental institutional level, you have people that are sitting in the Senate trying to make sure that schools don't get funding if they talk about some of the very issues that we raise in the book. And Mm. so we have to go back to basics, which I think, and I'll close here, hip hop brought us back to basics at a time when disco and the music industry and society was pushing us away. It was pushing us away from the black power movements. It was pushing us away from the soul and funk movements. And it was trying to force feed us something that was very artificial. Hip hop brought Mm. us back to the basics. And it allowed us a an opportunity to 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 trace our expression all the way back to the continent, right? Uh, in the various continents, indigenous continents that we come from, drum culture, oral traditions, and all that. Here we are in 2021. We've done the same thing, whether we were articulating it or not. We're giving you that truth at a time when it's information war, and the information yeah. war is to gaslight entire communities, uh, distort reality, and actually turn things upside down, which is what Malcolm said media and other entities would do, make the good seem bad and the bad seem good, et cetera, et cetera. So our gift is to serve that role of the griot, make sure that folks have exactly what they need. Uh, as we are learning too, we, we learned a lot as we wrote the book for these mm. young adults because we had to deal with their reality and understand in order to tell the story, we had to know some of the things that they know. And we should continue mm. doing that so that we never get separated. Um, if we do, then society, then an oppressive society wins. Absolutely. Th- thanks for calling out the, the ageism piece. I know we're, we're joking off top, but uh, this is a, a very important connective tissue 
Um, and something as a father of teens, I'm, I'm kind of excited to get this in their hands. Um, I want to I want to ask a question to both of you because you both, uh, in, in addition to being uh, you know hip hop scholars, have a foot in the world of just general sociology. You know, looking at American culture, um, we're we're in a, a period where we've seen uh, more focused attention on anti Asian hate crimes. Uh, we're in this very incredible moment of of information and, and change. And I always look back at hip hop and go, and I'll see if, if either or both of you would even agree with this. Is hip hop America's most successful experiment in multiculturalism? Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just, I just think that you know, uh, uh, I mean, uh, we're just going to bring it back to X to DMX right now. Um, uh, today he passed away that the day, the day that we're recording it, uh, recording this, uh, he passed away and, um, you know, he, he, you know, Bronx born, raised in the Bronx and stuff, you know, um, and, and just a truth teller, you know, and incredibly inspirational. And, you know, he inspired me to title one of my books, who we be. And that book was about, um, how, you know, black, indigenous, and artists of color, like, change the way that we see things, right? They were able to make breakthroughs in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s so that they could tell the world who they are. Um, and then you have, you know, hip-hop, especially folks of DMX's generation, taking this to the world and making it um, possible for folks all around the world to be able to have access to it so that kids in South Africa can fight apartheid with hip hop. Kids in South Korea can fight authoritarianism with hip hop. And that's a powerful thing. Um, so just speaking to what you're talking about, Mon, is like, it, it's really clear that, you know, the folks who came up on the generation that called themselves multiculturalists, they were able to take it to a certain kind of level, right? In these sort of uh, academic and art spaces and uh, in the publishing world and that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, when you have uh, public enemy and public enemy all the way from, you know, the late 80s into, you know, the 90s and the 2000s, folks um, bringing hip hop to the world, it really changes the paradigm. It really opens up a way for voices at the margins of society, wherever, whatever society that you're at, um, uh, being able to 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 make a a, a place for them uh, in those societies, so that you can have folks in the banlieues in in France, right, in the suburbs of France, North African and Arab immigrants there, um, using hip hop to express uh, the way in which they've been marginalized by French culture, right, which is sort of assimilate or die, basically, and still is, and it's kind of clamping back at this particular point. Um, and and so you know that's part of that's part of the story to to us it's the greatest story ever told um and that's part of the joy of being able to reopen the book at this particular point and and uh and be able to make these stories available i think um i have a little bit different take on it unless we really have an understanding which you know jeff has kind of laid out in his other books about multiculturalism, 
we run the risk of using that word and feeling that because a white kid from the suburbs is singing songs um, that black kids in the hood are saying that we somehow have overcome. Mm -hmm. If I put on my historian hat, Dr. King gives a speech, ironically, on August 11th, 1967, to the National Association of Television and Radio Announcers. It's online if you ever want to hear it. It's an incredible speech about the power of culture. And what he talks about is that the civil rights movement would not have come about had it not been for the work of black radio DJs and how they were able to frame important issues of the day. And the fact that soul music, the language of soul made school integration and other things a little bit easier. You know, five, six years after that, you know, Cool Herc does his party, mm -hmm. you know, in, in the Bronx. But what the story doesn't tell you the year after Dr. King did that and these individuals saw the power, their collective power, is that organized crime syndicates came to that next meeting and destroyed it and prevented those black radio DJs from being able to amass that power again. Here's why I tell you this, because that is a story that's written out of history. Mm. And what we wind up happening, what winds up happening sometimes inadvertently and definitely with the agenda of a music industry, the same industry that was destroying some of these efforts, is that we have multiculturalism in the sense of people in a room, but anti-Blackness still exists. And anti-Blackness shows up in the form of kids who are outside the hood who will use the N-word, but not change the very conditions that brought about the N-word in the first place. And so we now have a scenario where there are a lot of people who like hip hop, but don't like Black people. We now have a scenario where people like hip hop of all races, but could care less about our history. And in order to really understand the genesis of hip hop and what is laid out in this book, was that it was always rebelling and it was always demanding that people not be caged in politics of containment, which you see in LA, or not be forgotten, politics of abandonment, which is in the first chapter. And if we somehow get into a room and we're celebrating, you know, uh, hip hop, and I'm looking at, you know, say maybe you, Demone, and you're sitting there like, I got two pennies to my name, but I got a glass of Chardet and I'm, I'm living in a five room house. And we're saying we're all brothers in the same, same vein. No, you missed the point, Dave, because Demone should be on your level or you should at least be in a struggle, you know, a, a visceral, very clearly defined struggle to end the inequality that you're experiencing. And so, Hip hop is multicultural only if we make a commitment to uplift and change the very dire conditions that gave birth to it in its first place. If we didn't do that, then we're, we're, we're playing costume. We're dressing up, we're putting on the gold chains, we're using slang, uh, slang words from our favorite artists, and we um, are forgetting about the conditions. And I'll say this, what hip hop did was it crossed over in many ways on its own terms. And then people like Ice-T and others pointed out that, hey, now your kids in the suburbs love us, we're the heroes. And the industry and society clapped back and said, these black people from the hood are sensitizing our young babies to their reality. You know, they're starting to know Public Enemy more than they know Mick Jagger. Not that Mick Jagger's good, bad because he brought up the blues, but some other rocker who might not have really cared. Um, 
So therefore, we're going to redirect this energy and we're going to really corporatize hip hop and we're going to take some of the things that are symbolic and leave leave the very essence of it alone, which which is why we have to write the book so you get a more deeper history uh, so that when you finish reading it, you go, oh, there's a lot more to it than what shows up on the radio. Multiculturalism without action to change conditions in white supremacist society misses the mark. And we don't want to be shallow if we use that word. So that's my take on it. Man, thank you so much for that. I appreciate that. Um, you know, I want to bring it back to a couple questions or a couple questions prior. Um, I, we, we know that the book, the book has been updated um, for the um, young adult audience, but, you know, in doing so, there was some potentially offensive language that, that was changed. And I know Jeff touched on that earlier. Can we explore that a little bit more and you guys sort of, you know, give us an understanding of the reasoning behind that? Sure. Uh, you know, we we had a lot of discussions about language, too, about like what we wanted to be able to to um, say how and how to say it. Right. And um, what we arrived at was that it made sense to use the language that folks use with the exception of the N word. And so we bottlerized, as they say, we, you know, sort of censored, we did the little reverse flip thing on, on the N word throughout the book um, for one simple reason, which is, is that we uh, wanted to be able to challenge folks to ask the question why we did that. Um, when I was uh, touring behind the first book, um, the first edition, I should say, of the book, I, I would go to uh, other countries, um, and uh, and you'd be in 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 places like in, in Sweden. I was at the World Museum, actually the Multicultural Museum, actually in in Gothenburg, uh, talking about the book, and you would have um, African folks there, folks of African descent there, Swedish folks of African descent, who would were were there. These two women, I can't forget them challenging me about the use of, uh, of the book. Um, I mean, the use of that word and me telling them I would never utter it in public. Um, but I felt like I needed to put it in there because that was that's that's what they said. That's what they used. Um, this is this is what's this is what the text was. And they would they would challenge me saying, do you realize what this allows people to be able to do right it, it allows people to be able to demean us um and i said i, I can feel that and I, I really appreciate you mentioning this and 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 i'm going to definitely have to think about this and then literally right after she said that a young white swedish um boy is like in the front row he's like well isn't there a difference between using it with an a or an er and using the word, saying the word out loud. And the, these women in the back are raising their hands going, see, you see what we're talking about? And that just floored me. And I had to tell them, what it, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you call me a chink and you spell it with a K or a C, I'm still going to punch you in the face. Um, and I didn't mean to come off that hard, but in that moment, I had to, like, I, I recognized and realized exactly what they were feeling and going through. So for us to, to, to look at the words and how they're used in the context for them, right? 
that word and the B word as it as it uh, uh, reflects uh, uh, on women, right? We we talked about those two words a lot, and that's what we chose to do was to where we could not use it and where we couldn't to be able to botherize it. Yes, that's crazy. You met Young Lean when he was so young. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, I um, I, I was in school in the '70s, so we'll we'll go with that. That's why I was at your high school in '94. <laughs> um, but when I was in school, I had to read books in class in Pelham Bay, which was off limit to black people or was very hostile to black people in the seventies when we we're coming up. Right. Um, we're reading uh, Tom Sawyer and the N word is there. We're reading, um, you know, not Tom Sawyer, but Huckleberry Finn. I guess that's Tom Sawyer. I, I forget. Um, we're reading the Hardy Boys with the N-word is there, right? And you have folks that are using that gleefully, you know. Right. You know, even at a young age, they know what they're doing because they've had parents who did it, right? And so, uh, and, 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 and maybe even in retrospect, a teacher using that, you know, because now it's an excuse. If we fast forward to when I was working at Clear Channel, I had a boss walking around the station you know, singing Jigger my, you know, at the top of his lungs because JV, for whatever reason, decided it was okay to do the song to open up the MTV Awards. And I know, just like anybody who is on the receiving end of oppressive gestures, you know when people are being sincere and when people are trying to get under your skin. And so this person I knew was singing that song because he knew that it would rile me because I know I don't use the word. You know, whether I'm with black folks or not, I just don't use it. And so I think, you know, for me, I, don't, I wouldn't want anybody to be uncomfortable. We want people to use this in schools. If teachers want to have a discussion about it, about language, that's a worthwhile discussion. But I don't ever want anybody to get the misinterpretation. It's not a cool word to use. And, you know, in some places it's okay um, in terms of the culture. In other places it isn't. Like if we're in New York, um, Sure, you know, you, we see our Puerto Rican brothers and sisters use it all the time, you know, but you come out West and you go to a place like LA where there's tension between, you know, two groups of people, they're not trying to hear Jennifer Lopez say that and they're not trying to hear, it's cool in the Bronx, you know. Um, when I'm out here, you know, a lot of Asian folks use the word all the time, right? Um, but I think they realize because when they step in, you go to Chicago and use that, you're getting punched in your face. They don't care if you can scratch spin on your head and the whole nine because it ain't cool. It ain't that type of coolness. And, you know, I think language is evolving. And so you want to try and meet the meet it where it is. We, you know, once upon a time when it came up, artists would use the F word to describe gay folks, right? Punks jump up to get beat down. You listen to that song now. I think we've been socialized to know, like, you're going to turn that thing down, even if it's in a, in a nightclub, right? Because, Society has said, no, nah, you can't say that even if, you know, it is the unedited thing. The only word that is allowed to be used freely is the N-word, you know, and we should retire that in terms of retire it because it represents something that uh, has been really decimating for a lot of people who are receiving it. So that I'm, I'm, you know, so we talked about all that and, you know, and that's where that's at. Really appreciate you guys' perspectives on that. Thank you. Um, 
Jeff, in particular, though, I'd love to hear from you both on the kind of the tail end here. I've always considered your summation of the the birth of hip hop to be the definitive one. And if anyone ever asked me or in my family or whatever, I'm the hip hop representative, right? So I'll be like, here, there's 60 pages. It's it's a fast read. You can understand what happened. And um, I don't know what, if anything about that has changed for the new edition or if that, that kind of history kind of stands and is, is carried through to the new one. But I guess what I wanted to ask both of you is, did you feel a sense of responsibility when you were setting about the task of encapsulating all of the many strands of history that came together to form hip hop? And how do you feel now in hindsight that did you, do you feel like you nailed it? Do you feel like you captured it well? Um, well, the first thing to say is, is, uh, is I always write with that sense of responsibility, you know? Um, I think that, that, uh, you know, journalists in the U.S. are taught, you just go and get the story, you know. Um, and, you know, the ethics of, of journalism are around everybody needs to hear the truth. Some stories are not meant to be told, actually. For those of us who come from cultures where there's uh, sacred traditions, right, uh, some stories you're told and you're never going to tell them again. You know, or you'll tell them in the right context at the right time to the right people with the right assumptions about how that story is going to be held. And so I've always I come from that kind of I come from that kind of background I'm of Chinese and native Hawaiian descent. And that's that's how I was raised. So, you know, the first thing to say is, is um, it, I, the, I, it, the, 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 the way that it was told in the first edition was influence um by dave and by uh folks uh from the bronx and from new york city um and i held all the stories that were told to me with that kind of a, a sense of responsibility like i wanted dave to be able to read this you know and be like okay you know that's representing that's what i took representing to be at that particular moment um, you know, in, in the, in the two thousands when I was writing it, uh, I wanted to impress Dave and I wanted, and I, cause I felt I was accountable to Dave and, um, you know, and, and that's sort of the, the way we kind of rock with this all. The, the, the wonderful thing about this edition is that it's, it's all there. Like all of that stuff is there. All the stuff that felt right about the first edition is there. And there's the perspective of Dave, who was there, who was in these parties and doing the thing, was a rapper doing his thing, was in the cruise, like all of that. So I, I just feel like it's it's improved immeasurably um, from over the over the first edition um, because uh, because we got to 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 collaborate. It's always going to be hard to capture everything um, because, you know, as much praise as Jeff has given me, I got a bunch of elders myself, mm-hmm. you know, that um, that really can tell those stories. Grand Mix of DST, who's mm-hmm. putting out a book, they got stories. You know, Charlie Rock, who I quote from their original Zulu King, he got stories. 
Jay Kwan, who we reference, is an incredible historian. They got real good stories. Mm -hmm. And we're at a time when people want to hear those stories. Um, we knew that we couldn't get everything in, but we also wanted to be strategic and be like, we gave some groundwork, but there's stories to be told. Um, per, you know, Debbie Deb, you know, Debbie yeah. D is getting ready to put out a book. Mm -hmm. She got stories to tell, right? Mm -hmm. And those are important. And so we want to also remember, like, we're sitting around a campfire, and I'm going to tell you a story, and somebody's going to add, you know, like, for example, we did an interview a while ago, and this was, I want to say, around the time that Andre uh, Harrell passed, right? So, you know, I knew Andre Harrell lived in the Bronx, and I knew he lived in... Um, I knew he lived, you know, knew the whole story of Dr. Jekyll and Dr. You know, Mr. Hyde. And I knew that he uh, lived in Bronxdale, right? Uh, which was the housing project near Soundview, where I'm from. But when talking with Charlie Rock, right? It's like, oh yeah, you know, Andre from the third, from the third section. Now there's deeper detail, right? So because he's older and he know, you know, these are his peers. So now you hear in the story about, oh, when Andre would show up and he would rap and there's a whole other context that can't be replaced from somebody who's there. So I don't think, you know, we didn't put all that in there. That's for him to tell that story, but there is an acknowledgement that, yo, there's deeper stories the same. So if you got a record, and you go, man, this is a good record, man, that they sampled. It's your job to be like, man, let me go find the entire record and see what's on that album. The beauty of the first book is that Jeff did that when he created the narrative. And he said, okay, I'm hearing these stories about, you know, hip hop started in the Bronx and it was Herc, Bam and Flash and the gang stopped and blah, 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 right? There was this narrative that everybody found. And he was like, well, if, the, if, it's, if gang war stopped, who are the gang members? You know, let me go actually find out. Let me go, let me go get that. And he, he brings to the forefront the story about the peace treaties and the complexities around that, right? That's digging in the crates. That is our responsibility mm -hmm. now in, 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 in our respective indigenous cultures, right? We might be, you know, quote unquote, you know, Native American. We may be of, you know, various Latino descent or, or of African descent, all of our cultures you know, Asian diaspora, all of our cultures have, uh, 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 we hold to high esteem the storytellings of the elders, right? Mm -hmm. And we're supposed to listen to our those elders and take those stories and dig deeper, right? And appreciate them and, and really see the wisdom in it, the lessons in it, and the referencing point in them. And so, you know, I think in many ways we tried to follow that. We're not gonna capture everything. Uh, because it's impossible in 300 pages, you know, and Suge over here, you know, uh, Suge Chang, that's his name, you know, among, you know, for writers that don't know, you know, Adam Mansbach said that there, you know, I found out there's a, um, a support group of people who had to work with Jeff, who edits a lot of this, right? You know, this is Suge over here, man, you come with 200 pages of stories and he's like, we're just gonna use, you know, paragraph. <laughs> really you know but he's he's been down the road so he understood what's it going to take and that's not an easy process you know like how are you going to synthesize this information mm. so we're always going to have tons of things that we want and then you know then we have the responsibility that we're commodifying these stories we're putting them in mm. a package 
It isn't sitting around a campfire. Um, somebody's going to read this. And, and so you want to give them enough substance that hopefully they're motivated to go, man, they wrote about this. Can, let me find out more about this, this, this mm. story. Who's this Charlie Rock? Who's this Jay Kwan? Who's this Debbie D? Let me go find out about them more. That's what we're supposed to do when we're telling the story because hip hop is a collective. It's a collection of stories that we're all telling. We just, you know, we just kicked off the cipher, you know, mm. up to the rest of you all to take the mic and finish the finish it off. Really Dang. well said. Thank you yeah. both very much. Yeah, that's yeah. Um, there it is. That's it. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, well with, with that, we really appreciate uh, Dave, Jeff, for you guys coming on. Can't Stop, Won't Stop is out now. The remix uh, for young adult audience, uh, dads and dad bods and moms and, and everybody needs to go pick it up. Just thanks again, guys, for coming on the program. Hey, can thanks I mention one? Can I mention yep, one? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Actually, one is, is that we got an audio book out uh dave and i read on it and that kind of thing so if you feel like you don't want to be seen reading a young adult book or that kind of thing <laughs> smart which i you know i don't i don't understand that but if you if you feel like you don't want to do that you can listen to the audio book on the under and and you'll get to hear dave uh doing his thing and, and me doing my thing what you won't hear is dave doing his version of somacosa <laughs> the b-sides when is the b-sides dropping there's all this stuff that's like dave's got these archives like prints and and one of one of the things in there you have to ask him about is his version of somacosa okay. um, which didn't make it onto this <laughs> yeah we couldn't i couldn't i couldn't say the champ <laughs> you know and it took it was like an hour before i think we just had to phonetically say it you know mama soul mama. you know we had to kind of do it like that you know it was yeah man that's not my skill you know (laughs) (laughs) he's nice on the mic though it's a really good audio book you got to check it out and then the other thing to note is that for all you all nerds because i know you all nerds uh, that that are into this stuff um we're going to be doing an event uh on April 29th uh, okay. for New York City Music Month, which with uh, with DJ Cool Herc and Cindy Campbell, uh, um, and uh, so check for that. Just you know, do a little search New York Music Month with DJ Cool Herc. We'll post it up on our our Instagrams as well. But we Unless, want to let you all know about that too. One one thing we didn't absolutely. Talk, one thing we didn't note because it's a dad body thing. We do, we do uplift um, women throughout the yes. entire book. And that's a real important thing. And, you know, it's not cool Herc, but cool Herc and Cindy Campbell, his sister. Yes. You yeah. know, um, because- it's her party, the very, right? It's her party, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, so we, 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 were very, we were very intentional about not erasing the contributions and the impact and the influence of women um, in this culture. That's another gift that we wanted to make sure was given so that all of us can grow and understand um, that we this hip hop was made with all of us together, you know, mm. and, um, you know, it may be a male domination in terms of its presentation in corporate sense. But um, the purchaser, purchaser, the people who purchase it, uh, the people who influence it, um, a lot of that is women, you know, and uh, yeah, it was good to make sure that they were 
you know, at the table, you know, and, 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 a, and a big part of the conversation. That's, that's awesome. Thank you for, for bringing that, that point. So you, here you have it. You can do the book, Can't Stop, Won't Stop. You can put it inside like Nietzsche or something if, you wanna, if you're afraid of being seen on the train with that. You can listen to the audio book uh, and also be on the lookout for April 29th, uh, New York City Music Festival event with yes. uh, Cool Herc and Cindy Campbell at Thank you guys so much for coming on. Hope to so that much. we can speak again. Thank you for having us. Big honor. Thank you guys. Yeah, appreciate it. Peace. Take care. Peace. Dad Bar Rap Pod Scene Three. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Welcome back. That was our conversation with Jeff Chang and Davy D, um, who maybe think that we don't have Wikipedia and can see their ages. <laughs> I was like, "Hey guys, uh, this is actually public information." No, uh, it was more. And I don't mean to like call him out in any way, but like, uh, Damon, you had to leave right after they jumped off. We hung out for a little bit afterwards. Like, you, you kind of fucked him up, like telling him <laughs> to the point where I was he like, "Bringing it up, do you yeah. not know how old you are?" <laughs> uh-huh. like, I feel like we all of us are pretty open about our ages, where we are in this world. Like, I'm happy right. to be 40, dude. I'm like, I've been through some shit. I've survived. I've lived. I, I have a little wisdom, some gray hair. I'm cool with it. I'm good. Yeah. I wouldn't want to oh. be any other age. You know what I mean? It's like, let's see how you feel it, about it at 50, work. though. <laughs> when you get to the other side of 50, let's see how you feel about it. Um, yes. No, it was, yeah, it was pretty know. funny. It was pretty funny. And I think he was young at that time. He was still working for Camiel at that time. That's when he was rocking the um, the uh, bicycle, the Italian mm. bicyclist, David D era. Yeah. Uh, I just remember it being a super big deal. I've told him this before and he's forgotten, um, but, but it was just super cool to like, um, you know, to see somebody that, uh, again, if you're from the Bay Area, he's, he's somewhat of a hip hop household name. And um, I thought I had some great takes, had a really, Really interesting divergence of Jeff and Davey on the question of hip hop and multiculturalism. Mm-hmm. Which that was, was a uh, really cool part of the conversation where like it was like two heavy hitters giving giving their takes and kind right. of disagreeing very respectfully, but like really bringing a lot to the table. And like every take was just so nuanced and so sort of what yeah. you would expect from like an intellectual and just, you know, two um, revered historians. It was really great. I mean, that part where Jeff Chang, where we were talking about what was omitted and what wasn't and what was edited mm-hmm. in the new edition and, you know, his little anecdote of when he realized the N-word needed to be removed because when he was yeah. in Sweden, um, there, was a, there was a little interaction where, you know, he realized uh, spelling the N-word with an, with an A or an E-R makes no difference because uh, yeah. he ended up saying 
doesn't matter if you call me a chink with a K or a C, I'm going to punch you in the face. So I almost hit my table when he said that. So totally. yeah, if, yeah, I could not feel that anymore. Yeah, I, it was like kind of poorly timed. But did you guys get my young lean joke? He's a Swedish like <laughs> trap rapper. So yeah, I don't think they did, though. In, in, I don't... In the audience at that time, like <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. And a joke, if you have to explain it, is a bad joke. So it's fine. But I was just like, I, I was there for you, bro. I'm like, <laughs> Nate, Nate did that, uh, even, if, even if the room didn't get it. Um, Sorry, my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, super, super fun interview. Um, and, you know, we uh, we can't recommend highly enough you go out and get Can't Stop, Won't Stop, uh, the, the revised edition, which is out now everywhere. And just another great um, author coming on the program. Uh, I want to hold up a couple other folks since we're talking about history real quick, folks who have come on the program. Uh, shout out to Nate Patron, um, his book, Bring That Beat Back. Uh, he, he was on an episode, um, I believe sometime this season or last season, last year, uh, last year Laurent Fintone, um, Fintoni. bedroom beat Fintoni, excuse me. You, the uh, names just like, don't, they just don't up. compute for you, dude. Every time. <laughs> but he's like from France and it, there's a lot going on with Laurent, but he's, his, his book is, I think a really, um, not 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 deep deep history, but also very uh, interesting format and approach to presenting. It's more like music um, history than cultural history. Yeah, and right, I think this right. is like a, a good time to introduce or to talk about something I wanted to talk about in the intro. It says right here on the cover of the first edition. This is a history of the hip hop generation. Right. It's not. Yeah. It's not like this record came out on this day and meant this. Uh, it's exactly. like This is this okay. is like a this is culture. Like yes, Jeff, yeah. Jeff and Davey are covering the culture and the like the yeah. huge tidal wave of changes that remixing and societal and the societal right, impact right. of hip hop more so than the music, which you have to tell something about the music to explain how you get there. But Laurent's book in particular is really about like documenting mm -hmm. the through line of beat culture from yeah. like the, the kind of 80s ish to now, like it was hyper now. Um, right. So anyway, right. I think that's that's sort of different. Music history and cultural history, two two kind of different things. And it's not that he doesn't have good points about the wider impact of certain styles of beat music. It's just that I think they had different missions. Totally, oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Crafting for sure. their books. Who, yeah. who else have we had? Uh, Felicia Viator, sure. um, yes. to live and defy in L.A. Uh, Kathy Andoli, um, yep. um, God, God Save the Queens. Yeah. Yep. So I mean, we we out here. We we low key C span in this motherfucker. We, <laughs> we're doing it. We're at home. We don't always get the biggest names, even though sometimes we do. Um, but we we get the best names. We get the best people yeah. for sure. Best best conversations. Uh, we're we're definitely grateful for for Jeff and Davey for making the time. Yeah, really um, cool. And, and then we did we did tell Jeff like he has to come back on and talk about Soul Sides with us. Like yeah, he's not, totally. we're not done yeah. with him. Yeah. So like, I, I fully yeah. want to have that conversation. We're gonna have dj zen back you know what yeah. i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly Can't wait exactly. For that. yeah so it's a jeff chang many 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 chapters no point in, pun intended to his career <laughs> Pun sort of intended he's sort of stop i mean yeah um yeah so the the question of the week this week which is a, a bit that we we do every week i pose a question on twitter um and we read the responses here is related to the conversation that we we showcase for y'all today 
in relation to hip hop history. Um, so I want to share some of the tweets. Once again, at Dad Bod Rap Pod, I post a question usually like uh, Sunday nights. Um, and if you get it in before Monday noon, you might could get shouted out on the program. Um, when what I love is uh, our timeline is still, our follower base is still small enough where, you know, you kind of know some of these folks. You're kind of, you know, either familiar with their Twitter persona or their work. Um, so we'll start with, uh, with Def C, who we need to have on the program at some point. Shout out to Def C. Um, and I'm sorry, let me go back to the question. Uh, do hip hop fans have a responsibility to learn about the history of the culture? This was our question for this week. Uh, Def C gets extra points for concision. White hip hop fans do. Um, that, that was his, uh, his take and I'm, I'm nodding with that. Uh, Yvonne Helheim uh, at Ivar Higginheim, and I hope I'm, I'm doing that right, Nate, I'm not sure. Uh, hell yes. Get to know the history of the culture. It will give you fantastic music experience that breaches outside the genre and gives a wider foundation for you to understand both the lyrics and the content you thought you understood the first time. For a Norwegian fan, it was key. Um, so shout out to, uh, to our folks in Nor Nor Oh my gosh, I was about to say Norwegian uh, in Norway. <laughs> Where we were straight out of Norwegia. Oh my God. We, we raid in Norway. I want to say on one of those, those silly rating things, we're like the number 29 music interview podcast uh, in Norway, which is obviously how Ivan found us. Um, uh, the aforementioned Nate patron. I mean, if nothing else, it'll help uncover a lot of cross-generational references and themes and responses. Disclaimer. I mean, I wrote a hip hop history book, so I'd like to, to fucking hope so. Yeah. Um, totally. Shout out to Nate. <laughs> Buy I, his book. Not to like stop your role of reading the tweets, but my my if I were a, just a listener, if I were just a follower of us on Twitter, I would be like, no one has to do anything, but why wouldn't you want to? Right. I mean, ultimately, ultimately, you don't have to know it to enjoy a song, but if you care, I would highly suggest it. Yeah. I mean, to to know the yeah. the context and the history of something will only enhance your liking and understanding of it. I'm trying to think of a music that I passively like take in. Like, I, I don't know, like if I can think of a record, like D Dave, you and I are super into that Moom record, right? But like, right. do I know the full history of Icelandic dreamy? I know, <laughs> I know. Un un okay. un like uh, down tempo. Like, I suppose right. not. Maybe right. I know as much as there is to know by listening to that record and reading the liner notes, but like, you know what I mean? Like totally, totally. But if we did know it, like certain parts would be a little bit more enhanced to us, right? We would have right. Well, but I, I feel like it goes back to the thing Nate you said about um, comparing, contrasting uh, Nate Patron's book and Laurent Fintoni is that I feel like um, the question was about the culture, right? And so um, if you know about, <clears throat> you know some obscure thing that you kind of vibe with, but you don't know, like, I like a, a lot of Brazilian music, clearly don't know the backstories and like mm -hmm. how that music came about. You never um, like, re like read the liner notes of the Tropicalia like box set not, or like watched a documentary or anything? Not, not really, not yet. I'm more of like a, a <laughs> passive like, yeah. And, I'm, and I, as I'm sure it is, right? And yeah. I'm kind of like, it doesn't block your enjoyment of the music. Right. But I will say, I do at least come to it with some 
basic sociological understanding right, of what right, Brazil right. is as a country, right. you know, how the, the African diaspora that got there, like those right. type of and cultural with, things. With that right. one, there's a couple of different layers, like whether you know what was happening with the government or not, it is clear they listened to the Beatles and dropped some acid and oh, got sure. some electric guitars. Sure. Like that's yeah. like, you know, that, that is all day. history yeah. of that as well. It's not, it's not right. just about how it interacts with the government. There's more to culture than that. And just totally. how I was, I was contrasting Jeff and Davey's mission with Laurent Fintoni's mission. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I, I it it doesn't matter, but yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, but it's, it's kind of that thing of like, you can do a deep dive and be a nerd of the music and still whiff on the cultural pieces, which I see all the fucking time. Mm, like, that's I think, yeah, Davey D called that out in that you have people that know every release every 12 inch that came out of this time, but, you know, um, have weird ideas about race, you know what I mean? And, and right, come right. to that conversation uh, without a cultural perspective, uh, which, I, which I think is interesting. Um, I, wanna, I wanna give the last tweet to the, uh, to the acerbic and wonderfully witty Max Bell, um, who wrote, I, I think I'm saying this right, he, I think he wrote one of the better uh, DMX obits. I did read um, that. So, yeah, yeah, shout shout yeah. out, shout out. Yeah, Max shout out, great. shout out Max B. Um, I thought that was really great. I think his tweet kind of takes us home here. If you're gonna, if you're going to make claims about contemporary rappers being innovative icons, the goat, etc., then you must have a deep working knowledge of the careers and catalogs of everyone you're sliding. Um, I thought that was interesting because like Twitter is definitely a space where there's new goats and things crowned every day. Right. It's a classic um, within 24 hours. Of totally. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. So that's a, that's a very interesting take and probably the best rationale for uh, doing your homework on the culture so that you're, you know, you can make, you know, authoritative hot takes and not just seem like somebody who was born five minutes ago, um, which a lot, sometimes a lot of this comes off. Yeah. As. But it, it's a, it's a it's a very good tweet. I totally agree with what he's saying, but it's kind of also different than what we're talking about. It it could easily be a, someone who's a historian of the music and not the surrounding culture who could culture of it. know that could, could you know out, Outcast yeah. cannot be mm -hmm. compared to the Beatles or whatever. To bring it back to the Ron right. Punches tweet we were talking about earlier, it's just yeah. it's extremely different. But but you could know that like Outcast was talking about Katrina and the yeah. Beatles were talking about skiffle music you know what I mean like there's right, there's right. so many different ways to take that but I, I agree it was a very good tweet and Max is super sharp dude and got to the essence of something that we're talking about and something about Twitter discourse he, yes. he did Twitter discourse on Twitter discourse Twitter in a discourse. way that was very helpful <laughs> for that discussion but I, I mean you know I don't want to be a mister like everybody should read a book but like literally if you like this show you should be at your local bookstore's website ordering can't stop won't stop right now like, yeah you it, 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 like, it, 100 stop listening to us and start listening to right it, and go, right? and like, go get it. come on right. <laughs> if anything you should read that before you check check us out like that should yeah. be the prerequisite course you know yeah totally uh, it was but, but it, funny i brandished my book at them on the zoom damone reached behind him literally within <laughs> arm's reach and brandished his copy dave was at work so he couldn't brandish but a, i mean for for the san jose state course um that's going to be the main textbook because yeah what else would you, what, what else, else would could, be, pick? could, right. could it be totally, yeah oh totally. that's awesome um as always you can interact with us on twitter at dad bod rap pod uh you could be salty you could be acerbic but also be nice um, or I will block you. I had to block a couple <laughs> people this week. 
had to do some blocks. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, like no, that, I'm, uh, we're Matumbo, all Geico here. commercial. The yeah, we've all seen. <laughs> to wag my finger. Day. Yeah, I had to <laughs> wag my finger at a couple folks. Um, so you can always get with us there. We are also on Instagram at Dad Rat Pod, um, and we, you know, we are part of the Stony Island uh, Audio Network. Uh, we talked about what had happened was on our last uh, podcast. That's still going, still great. Um, uh, can't knock the shuffle. Um, season yes. two is is off and rolling. It's great. Super duty, tough work. Fatherhood's pod. Shout out to everybody on the Stony Island Network. Uh, we we appreciate being on the team. Um, also, if you like the show, we got merch. Buy yourself a authentic dad bod, one of one hundred ish uh, coffee mug. We we really appreciate it. Uh, we don't despite all of the opulence in, in Nate's uh, Zoom window here. We're actually not making money on the program. So any of your uh, mug purchases go directly to support the program to make sure that we can keep doing this weekly. This is episode 165. This Woo. is crazy to me. Um, and I think at least 134 were high. I mean, <laughs> I, um, <laughs> probably about I, it's a, the right ratio. <laughs> yeah. It's 164 more than I thought we'd do. So. Oh. Hey, <laughs> for real. For real. We've, uh, and we've, we've lasted. We're coming to the uh, hopefully late stages of the pandemic. We're looking forward to possibly uh, recording in person again. Um, yes. And so things are looking up. We've got great interviews uh, in the can waiting for y'all in the coming weeks. So, you know. Every Thursday, you could depend on it. Dad bod, rap pod. So we had time to sit around and, and reflect.